The scripture reading is uh, Joshua, the chapter, Joshua 23rd, found on page 197 of your pew Bible. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have lighted to you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain, along with all the nations <coughs> that I have already cut off, from the Jordan to the great sea to the west, in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you will possess their land, just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right or to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, <coughs> or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you shall cling to your Lord, your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it's the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love your God. For if you turn your back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and a thorn in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now I'm about to go to the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one of your word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God has promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things from the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so that the Lord will bring upon you all the, all the evil things until he has destroyed you, destroyed you from all off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. The word of the Lord. As I watch your children up here during children's message and quietly thank God that I wasn't assigned children's message today. The thought occurs to me, they will be in confirmation class with me in a few years. Well, we have gotten to a portion, Joshua has... Has we've gone through and he's distributed the land and a lot of um, the chapters are 
uh, essentially uh, landmarks and boundary lines of distributing to the, the 12 tribes what God has apportioned to them. And as we are getting to the end of this story, the end of this book, um, Joshua is giving a warning, a warning to be obedient. They have um, the, the land has been distributed. Many of the uh, tribes in there have been conquered. There's yet more work to be done. And I'm glad this is in my pocket and not in my study. He gives them a warning against, uh, first of all, of, of not conquering, of, of mixing with the folks around, of intermarrying and um, following in their ways, of the different pagan tribes that are still in the land. Now, this is not a sort of ethnic superiority of, of don't be with them. It, there's no sense of kind of racism of those are... Uh, it, it, it has to do with the entanglement with pagan gods. You know, we, we're in a very secular culture where if you were to watch most television programs, you would have no clue that anyone believed in God. Uh, it, not at all representative of most people's lives because most things have been driven out of, of public discourse, any thought of God. Complete opposite in the ancient times everything would have been absolutely saturated with uh, religion and gods. If, as you were, um, you know, going through the street, you would see different temples to many different gods and goddesses. As you celebrated public life, as you participated in, um, you know, government activities, intermingled with those would be priests who were doing part of um, what we would normally think of as kind of civil service type things. You know, um, any as you went about your work, there would be normal offerings and sacrifices made towards uh, the the god of the sea. If you're a sailor, the god of agriculture. If you're a farmer, whatever god or goddess was appropriate to your realm, you would be um, having to worship them if you were participating in this this culture. And so, what he's wanting them to do is not not stay away from people because. They're unloved, but to stay away from mixing with people and, and getting into relationships that are going to take you into worshiping these Baals, these false gods, these idols to, to keep their religion pure. And so the message as Joshua gathers them together, and, and there's a, a great thing to say, God is going to conquer them. God is going to bring you in the land. God is going to fulfill your promises Therefore, be faithful. And just the way that's phrased is God's grace. It's not, okay, after you do this 10 years, I'm going to bless you, and then you get it. I'm going to do this, and because I'm going to do this, because you have received my grace, and because you're depending on my grace, stay away from those false gods that cannot do what I'm doing for you. Stay away from them that are going to hurt you. And not to give in to the way of the world around you. This is still very applicable for us. We're 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 not going to be tempted to um, you know bow down and make an offering um, to a god or goddess as we uh, take on new work duties or something. Uh, but the world still has a huge impact on us if we are not faithful to Scripture and watching the world around us. 
we're called to um, stay faithful to God and stay faithful to this covenant he's made with us. And the idea of getting entangled with those around us in such a way that draws our hearts away from God to value the things that the world values and to worship the things the world worships is a real danger for us. And, you know, historically we've talked about being worldly-minded, that we let the, the, the values and the um, things that the world praises so influence the church that we no longer are following Christ. We're more like the, the pagans around us. Now, we are called to love our neighbor. That means regardless of their belief. It doesn't say Christian neighbor. We're called to love our neighbor. We're called to pray for our enemies. We're called to be salt and light, which means... We, we don't withdraw from the world around us. We're not called to um, separate ourselves and, and just be only with others. So we, we definitely need to have pagan friends and be in places where people disagree with us. But we need to make sure that we're with one another and encouraging one another not to be entangled in ways that draw our hearts away from God and begin to adopt the values of those around us. Now, growing up, um, in a uh, certain stream of the church, I'll say it that way, uh, when I heard of the idea of keeping yourself away from the values of the world, that, that kind of meant, well, don't chew tobacco, don't drink beer, don't go to dances, and don't watch R-rated movies, and, and maybe don't listen to death metal, but that's kind of what that meant. And, you know, some of that might be good advice. Death metal is not really good. I mean, I don't think it's more of a wisdom issue than sin. But, but I think we are tempted to be worldly in a couple of other ways. One is, isn't the world around us so impressed with numbers and power and money and bigness and spectacle and celebrity? I mean, it really is. I mean, that, that's who's going to get people's attention is, you know, someone who um, has the most followers on Instagram or who um, sells the most records or has the biggest following in different ways. And, and we, we really are impressed with that. Do you think God is impressed? Do you think God is impressed with how many Twitter followers somebody has? Do you think God is impressed with, um, you know, a, a church that might downplay teaching the gospel so that more people are in the pews? Do you think that pleases God? I mean, we get impressed with that. I mean, the, the first question I'm usually asked after somebody finds out I'm a pastor, if, if they don't run away, is usually something like, well, how big is your church? And, you know... kind of stunned, well, I mean, it doesn't stun me anymore, but it just kind of reveals, isn't that what's important? And, I mean, that's, that's not saying unbelievers, that's Christians, because isn't that the mark of success? If it's a large church, it's more successful. But do you think God is impressed? I mean, we, we certainly want more people coming to him, more people finding freedom in Christ. We want more people to, to find the grace and connection and the joy that we share and that I see you sharing but God is not impressed with how much our budget is. He's much more impressed with how faithful we are. 
He's much more impressed with how true we say the Scripture. He's much more, well, he's not impressed, but he's pleased. You know, the problem with the Facebook feed and stuff is, you know, accusations of heresy can come with any mistake. I say, God is pleased. He's not impressed. God wants to see us sharing faithfulness and truth and loving one another and sacrifice. And sometimes that means fewer. Sometimes that means weaker. Sometimes that means less. And so we need to not be impressed with the things of the world, that if someone has a following on television does not mean their message is true to Scripture because we, we don't want to look at the same things the world looks at. It doesn't say we despise it and, you know, the, the fewer people is proof of our faithfulness, but it does mean that we want to look first at are we being faithful, are we loving, are we serving, are we doing what Christ wants us to do rather than being impressed with worldly results that can come from other things than the Holy Spirit. Another thing I see us as the church, not, not necessarily us here, but I see more and more in the church around us is there is a divisiveness and a sense in which all of our hopes are involved with politics. That's just so much of what I see around us of how much of that is coming into the church where what we really need to do is because things are so difficult now is we have to focus our attention on defeating political enemies. Then we can get back to ministry and service and and loving God. And this idea of I have to get one up and and beat um, up on somebody who has a different political view and convince them that they're stupid and that I'm right and they should listen to me which I don't know if that ever works on, um, you know, but there, there's a sense in which that, that is coming into the church where we're putting our hopes apart from Christ and, and we are contributing to that divisiveness by making others an enemy and, and overlooking the flaws of whichever party we approve of in a way that is pushing us apart and that has nothing of the savor of Christ who's said, blessed are the peacemakers, who tells us to hope in him and and to trust in him. And we who ought to walk in a manner that is, you know, attractive to all people and loving to all people, that we, we don't give an offense, that we share the truth. We want to stand firm in the truth. But we don't want to use the truth as a bludgeon to say we've beat up, you know, we've, we've won something. We, we seek, I, I see this more and more, not just with, um, um, you know, political views, but just on everything um, that we, we think that taking a firm stand means being ugly and rude and mean. Rather than looking like Christ as we love and seek for things that are reconciling and work for peace. Another thing I see with us in the church is the world around us is so um, absorbed with pleasure and ease and entertainment. And how often we in the church can make that our idols as well, that, that we, we, we're not discerning it about things. It's just if we enjoy it, that's enough of a criteria to bring it into our homes, bring it into our thoughts, 
um, that, that we think anything that brings us pleasure, joy, that those become such a priority. And we definitely need rest, and we definitely need to, you know, um, enjoy good gifts of life and have downtime and uh, rest and recreation. And yet, it, it, it can become an obsession that those are the priorities in our life. So just many others, you could look at different ways that the world around us, but we want to be careful of mixing in with people that draw us into these things rather than a Christ who draws us to uh, trust in Him and worship Him and work for peace and to be faithful and be, um, be impressed more with uh, steadfast faith. So he warns us of these things, and we, we take note of that. He warns um, to remember, verse 9, uh, for the Lord has driven out before you the great and strong nations, to remember the things that he has done as an incentive, as a motivation to continue to stay faithful to him and not to mix into these things, to not mingle and to not um, be drawn to the things that God is drawing out, that he has driven them out. He's used, he's fought for Israel to, to overcome Jericho and overcome these cities. Therefore, why would you start aligning yourself with them? Why would you go back to their ways if that is what God is doing? And so for us Christians, we remember in our souls, in our lives, Christ has overcome sin and death. That he, like Joshua driving out the enemies, has driven that out of our life. That's what our salvation is. He's freed us uh, from the enemies of our soul. He's freed us from sin. And just as he warns them, why would you go back to the very things God has conquered and cast away? Why would we, who have been saved from sin, who have been forgiven for sin, who have been had that conquered in our life, why would we turn away from God and turn back to those things that Christ has conquered in our lives? Why would we go to sin? That's why Romans 6, Paul says, that, you know, is this forgiveness, is this justification so that we might sin? God forbid. Why would you go back to the things that you've been freed from? Why would we turn to the, the enemy that's been conquered? And that in, in our lives... We, we hear this warning to remember that our salvation has freed us from destruction and death. Why would we ever go back to it? it, it example I've used before is, you know, our salvation and, and their salvation as they're brought into the land is sort of the effect of if we were to go down to the jail and open the door and let someone out, and they say, yay, I'm free. I'm going to stay here. That would be the same thing for us to say, God has saved us from our sins. Let me continue to sin. That the, 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 the conquering of these things should free us to follow Christ, not to turn back to sin, not to turn back to worldly ways that are opposed to the way Christ would have us live. And notice that sin itself becomes, can, be, can become its own punishment, that, that we see and hear that those nations, if they don't drive them out, if they don't expel them, they will become a snare and a trap for you. There's a sense in which disobedience leads to more disobedience. Sin leads to more sin. Not driving it out becomes its own punishment. 
Because it's not that it's these things that draw us away from Christ that he wants us for our own good to do away with. And there is a warning that he is going away, and if they transgress the covenant to remember that if they do not do these things, God will drive them out. They will be punished as well. That if they do not fulfill what God has called them to fulfill, if you go and serve other gods, if you bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land he's given you. Being in the land is conditional to being obedient, to being faithful to the covenant. There's no sense of which they can just say, well, you've given it to us, and whatever we do, it doesn't matter. We're here. To, to be in his promises and to receive his blessings and his good gifts are to continue to follow him and to trust in him and be obedient to his ways and not turn back to the ways of the nations. Now, one of the things I'd just like to point out here is it's very often that people point to the destruction of other nations in um, Joshua and say, well, this is a sign of, of genocide. This is a sign of, of them just being against other people. And, I, and one of the things that always strikes me is the Scriptures never say God is always for us and whatever we do, God's on our side. That they're saying God drives people out because of sin, but he will drive us out for the same sin. And God's justice against his people will be even harsher than it is against other people. And so there's an even-handed sense that if we don't do these things, God will come against us. That means for us who follow Christ and are to be obedient to his ways, we can't be presumptuous. We can't have the attitude of, well, I'm a Christian, I'm saved by grace, and I once saved, always saved, now let me go sin. Let me go do whatever I want to do. Let me go back to this, the nations. Let me turn back to Jericho. We must hear what he's saying, that God says he will promise and give good things, and he's promised these, but also he will be faithful to his threats. You ever seen those little, little um, books of God's golden promises or something like that? They're always very inspiring. It's always the great things that God will do for us. And, but his promises always in those books have edited out the promises of judgment, of condemnation, of if you do not turn, if you do not repent. And, and we have to remember that God is as faithful to his judgment and his threats as he is to his promises and blessings. Two things real quick. If we have the attitude, I'm a Christian, but I will live however I please, it would be good to examine your heart to see whether you truly are in Christ. He is faithful to his threats. And for those who are saved, yes, we sin, we repent of our sin, and we truly are saved by grace, not by our works. But that Holy Spirit that brings you to repentance and faith will lead you to a life of holiness, and you will increase in your desire to kill sin and to follow Christ. And if you don't see that in your heart, of a desire to turn away from the things that are opposed to God and to repent and follow Him, 
no matter how stumbling and, and we mess up and we make mistakes and we fail, but if you're not seeing any inclination to that, ask yourself whether you truly are trusting in Christ or if it's just a mental belief so that you can go about what you want to really do. And if your faith truly is in Christ, and yes, we stumble and fail, if we are not faithful in following Him, we do know that the joy is removed from us, our assurance is taken from us. It's not enough to just say, yes, I know I'm a sinner, and not to fight that sin. It's not enough to say, I'm broken and I admit it, without saying, I want to fight and turn away from this, but we won't have the blessings and the joy if we're not fighting against what God is fighting against, if we're just accepting that I'm going to sin without turning from it takes the blessings of following Christ from us. Would you please stand and let us state what we believe through the words of the Apostles' Creed.